Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So we were supposed to start recording uh, about 20 minutes ago, and then I made the mistake of asking a question on how to pronounce Matthias uh, Brome or Bromea, depending on um, where you fall on that. And then Brad and Evan uh, took (laughs) the better part of the last half hour diving through uh, elite prospects, trying to find the most obscure leagues with recognizable players possible. They got down to the Italian uh, Serie A, uh brad somehow magically happened upon his own league in there so crazy coincidence that was hey it's not like i stumbled upon ask evan it was the eighth one down (laughs) you're eight degrees removed from the league Sidney crosby plays in yeah look at me i'm basically making no money (laughs) (laughs) i'm honestly surprised evan was uh was so into it i it's funny the people you kind of go down a memory lane when you dive into some of these leagues like you see guys you remember from world juniors past or guys who played on like prominent ohl teams who are just living the dream over in europe making decent money no worries don't have to grind and grind and grind to play in the nhl it's kind of cool ryan you can't tell me you haven't sat there one afternoon wondering i wonder what happened to chris di domenico often yeah Uh, playing in the swiss league now the more you know what was the other guy, uh, one of the leaders of the Swiss League? He was, uh, it was Mark something. Oh, Mark Arcabello. Mark Arcabello. He's honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if his name comes back up for the NHL. His name floats around everywhere. Yeah, he's played for, I think, every team in the NHL, so he's probably ready for a second tour. And I'll, uh, no one's playing in the NHL right now, so uh, we have a world of things to talk about, but we actually do. Uh, welcome to the Wings, Winged Wheel Podcast. I am Evans Cat. I am Matthias Bromance. And I'm Dirt McGirt. <laughs> he said passionately. Um, the Red Wings are making moves, and so we actually have things to talk about on this podcast. So we are going to talk about their two recent signings and what that means for Detroit, if anything. Um, our next topic will uh, be covering, as usual, uh, the big slash small slash nothing slash everything conversation surrounding the potential return to play for the NHL. Uh, and then we'll be doing our usual draft coverage, including our um, prospect profile for this week and. Uh, Brad just released his annual rankings, which is good. So um, we'll be talking about that before heading into overtime. Um, the days are getting longer. I think we might finish and still have sunlight this time. I was going to say, it actually feels weird seeing half my face in daylight while recording this. Yeah, I actually thought it was like a two-faced thing going on, but it turns out you're the same kind of ugly on both sides. I mean, if I angle this properly, I could probably make it very Harvey Dent. Hey, and would continue the Batman theme. We could bring Steve back for the uh, the Bane voice. There we go. They weren't in the same movie though, so does it count? Spoilers, man. Come on. <laughs> uh, all right, the, the Red Wings. So there's, I think they've been assigned or they've been attached to the names of like six different European players. Um, one of them has since fallen through, which is kind of why we don't talk about every single one of these signings as they come up uh some of them we'll bring up and some of them it's just like there's no substantiation um 
and uh, European leagues, players and agents have a way of uh, putting out the, um, oh, this guy's going to the NHL thing as a bargaining chip uh, to get the Russian or Swedish or whatever team to pay them a little bit more or sign them to a longer term deal. Uh, and that seems to be what happened with one or two players now. But a signing that did get completed uh, was they signed Matthias Bromia, if you believe Brad, um, I thought it was Brome, so what do I know? Don't you uh, put that on me. I am translating Brad directly said, from the sound that comes out of his Elite Prospects page. You know that little audio button next to his name where they say his name? I'm going by that, and it was Bromia. Bradley Jedediah Crisco declares that it's Bromia, the third. Uh, left winger. Right <laughs> um to a one-year contract he was one of the leading scorers of the swedish elite league which was uh, a pretty good pickup for detroit in terms of european signings i know uh, a lot of teams were hot on him it came down to detroit and vancouver in the end i believe yes um yeah he had uh 43 points last season with um orebro 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 i believe that's how how you say it it's probably some pronunciation that our tongues aren't physically capable of making, as we found out with every Swedish and Finnish name that our listeners inevitably correct us on for yes. Englishing it up way too much. So even though we're probably saying Bromia uh, the proper way, we're not saying it the proper way, <laughs> so it's not going to matter. So yeah, we're going to end up uh, having to correct and change how we pronounce it for sure. So until we get those corrections from our Swedish listeners, we'll just keep going how it is. It, w- it was like that. Um, uh, I f- sorry, I-, I apologize to the li- to the listener. I, f- I forget uh, your name, but when we got corrected on uh, Rope Hints, and I watched the video of him pronouncing it, I'm like, yeah, man, I I believe you, but I just I physically can't make that noise with my mouth. <laughs> he did. The more did. European you are, the more European your pronunciation becomes. Oh, so me not at all then. No, yeah, you're just we, trying. He did capo caco for us too, and I I still like I can hear him say it in my head, and I'm just like mm, I can't do it. Sorry. Yeah, it, that's way too much effort, way too much air required, and way too much like throat changing. I'm just the, like yeah, I'll just I'll just do what everyone else does. The one thing I don't think our European fans quite understand is that North America is full of stupid people like us. So if we try, even if we physically can say a lot of these European names exactly right, we'd be the 1% of the world of the Western world saying it that way. So everybody else would look at us like we're stupid, even though we're the ones saying it right. So we just have to go with the flow. Like, uh, cause apparently what was the one that stood out to me? Someone was talking years ago, night Gus Nyquist. Apparently his last name is not pronounced particularly close to Nyquist. Apparently the Y is a U sound in Swedish. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not saying it that way. Sorry. Yeah. I'm not going to be the one guy saying it like that, even though I know I should. And it would be the proper thing to do. I have to stoop down to the rest of society and just, and just be, I don't know, West, we'll call it Western normal. You don't want to be bullied. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Have you, have you seen our listeners on the internet? They're mean. <laughs> the 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 name thing comes down to whatever the player wants in my mind and as long as it's not like nuts in terms of asking like a non-native speaker of that language to pronounce these sounds that they never really use otherwise i try to go with that but yeah some of them it's just the finnish names especially because like they're so close but, but so far um 
they're not i I don't think they're (laughs) i don't think they're mean i think they deal with a lot of our shit so uh i will always go with whatever i hear the players say yeah they want um because usually you'll get that in their first interview when they actually get to north america i haven't seen that for bumia yet what i will not accept is when a player goes by a certain pronunciation for half his career and then decides to change it. I'm looking at you, Zach Parisi and Brad Marchand. Yeah, that that's in the Parisi Parisi thing was like, come on, you give were us a hint the first time. You were Parisi for ten years. Bite me. You're Parisi still. In F1, there's a young driver for Ferrari. He's from Monaco and his name is Charles Leclerc with a C at the end. And like that's just how you say it. He's like a he's from Monaco, like it's a French-ish pronunciation. That's how you do it. And then that's how it was said for a long time. And then he did an interview with a couple different uh, stations. And he says, he's like, my name's Charles Leclerc. And we're like, what? Wait, really? And then he would do another interview. He'd be like, yeah, I'm Charles. I'm Charles Leclerc. Man, please just, just pick rolling everyone. Yeah, pick one and let us go with it. Um, all right. But more on Brome slash Bromea slash um, Brad Crisco. Um, what does this signing mean for the Red Wings next year? And is it even a Red Wings relevant signing? I think it could be a very relevant Red Wings signing. Uh, every time there's a signing like this, I, I, I have to preface this by saying there is no such thing as a bad free asset. Now, obviously, ignoring the actual physical dollars the team has to pay the player. This didn't cost us a draft pick. This didn't cost us a player in a trade. He literally just said, I'm coming to play for you. So if he turns out to be absolutely nothing, oh, well, because I don't think any of us are going to be sorry for the Illiches losing a few uh, a million bucks. Um, still need players in Grand Rapids, if that's the worst case. If this goes well, you get a guy on your NHL roster to play uh, ideally a third or fourth line role with the type of player that Bromea is. And it's fantastic. Um, his, if you look at just his box cars from the Swedish league, they don't look Im- that impressive because he had what forty something points and fifty something games, so he was well below a point per game. I think it was like a point eight three. But only four players in the entire <laughs> SHL were over a point per game in that league. He finished sixth in league scoring in what is most people would consider the third best league in the world. That's not nothing. He's only 25, so he's probably got at worst five, six good years left in him. Um, he's he's a skill player. Um, the biggest misconception I saw from the initial reports of what Bromia is as a player versus what I found out actually doing a deep dive in today is that he he is a responsible defensive player, but he is a skill guy. He he's not that you know, your, your Darren Helm type, this guy can score. He can pa- pass. I watched a lot of his highlights. He actually is uh, damn impressive from a skill set. whether or not that's going to translate to the NHL, who the hell knows? We never know. It's a guessing game. Um, I think he has a chance because the Red Wings bottom six was just so hilariously bad that why not give this guy a chance? If he comes over and takes it, it's good. But what makes me happy over the about what the Red Wings are doing uh, and the bigger picture with this signing over the last three, four months is you can tell Iserman wasn't happy with the bottom six. So he brought in Timoshov to compete for, for a spot. He's bringing in Bromia to compete for a spot. We saw Giovanni Smith get a handful of games this year. The, the 
bottom six that we're used to seeing, which is some combination of Glendening and Abdelkader, Helm, Nielsen, will not be the construction of the bottom six next year. I think we're going to see not, I'm not going to call it crazy turnover next year, but out of the six guys that spent most of the season playing in the bottom six, I guess you could throw Adam Ernie in there. We might only see two or three of them next year because Bromia might take a spot. Timoshov might take a spot. Svechnikov almost has to take a spot. Rasmussen might take a spot. Hiroshi might take a spot. There's a reality in which the entire bottom six is different. I wouldn't bet on it. That would probably require some trades, but they could do it and not downgrade it. So I like the Bromia signing. He has offensive upside. He can play defensively, so he can play up and down your lineup. It's just whether or not his overall skill set is good enough to translate to the NHL. Yeah, well, the the signing screamed two things to me. One, it was uh, Steve Eiserman taking the opportunity to fill out the roster with more of the type of player that he wants. Um, we saw the usual requisite comments on this one, which is like, this guy makes no difference. This team still sucks. It's like, yeah, yeah, I hate to break it to you. Here's a spoiler. The next 10 moves the Red Wings are going to make are going to not make a difference and the team's still going to suck. Like, that's just the reality of transactions in the NHL. If this guy was good enough to make the Detroit Red Wings substantially better, he would not have been available and he would not have signed with the Red Wings. So let's just get that out of the way. Um, but this is Eisman filling out the roster where he can with guys that fit his mold. They're talented. They work hard. Uh, Bromea is is known as an extremely hard worker at both ends of the ice, which is the kind of thing that Eisman wants. He says, if we can't win games, we at least want to put out, put out 100% effort. You know, if we're going to lose, let's lose by one, not lose by seven. So this is kind of he brings talent and he brings energy um, and he could bring, you know, uh, some new production, although we say that about every guy because it's like Brad said, there's no way of knowing how this is going to translate into the NHL when there's no background. But uh, this could be a guy that could bring some production or he could bring nothing at all and end up end up being somewhere else. But it's just a, a free asset that fits that checks a lot of boxes for Eisenman. It costs the team nothing on the cap um it's under a mil so it's it's in it's one year so there's zero risk here um and yeah this is going to squeeze out some players like people who are up on rfa deals excluding um the the big names um but these are guys who are up on either rfa or ufa deals sam gagne adam ernie uh brendan perlini christopher n um and i'm assuming timashov fabry bertuzzi and mantha will all be brought back quite obviously then you look at defense, which isn't as relevant for this guy because he's a forward, but you have Erickson, Daly, um, Bowie, and uh, Cody Golubev. And I would be surprised if... I would honestly... like. I think the only one who has a chance of coming back is Bowie. No one else is going to come back out of that group. So um, there's this is a guy that's going to squeeze one of them out for a spot. And it might give Eisenman... Or th- this is Eisenman signaling that not a lot of them are going to be back. Like... Christopher N's expendable. Abdulkader, who has a contract could, but could be waived, is expendable. Like this is Eisenman taking his year and saying, "All right, I've now observed the team. Let's get moving. Let's move what we can." Not to say he's not been making any moves. That's quite obviously not the case. But you're seeing Eisenman um, fill in pieces, no matter how insignificant they might seem, that fit the mold of what he wants in this hockey team. The nice thing is, is you know. He Brome makes a, a jump into the into the roster, which is great. You know, he could provide some depth scoring, 
But what it also does is send a message to those bubble players that, you know, your job isn't guaranteed and that hopefully that raises what they're bringing uh, to the team. So um, all in all, you've got to like th- this move that they've made. Like at worst case, he plays in the AHL or he goes back to Sweden, like whatever. It, it's a, it's another swing um, and it could help actually raise their performance levels of the bottom six, even if he's not on the roster. So let's play a fun thought experiment here about why inconsequential moves like this individually actually make a big difference in the large picture. So let's assume, again, I'm just picking the guys that are most likely to be cut. Let's assume Abdelkader, Ernie, N, and Perlini aren't back. Okay? They're cut. They get replaced by Gagne, Timoshev, Svechnikov, and Bromia. How many goals... Given a near a full season, do you think Bromia would score? Be super conservative. I don't even want you to get crazy. Five. Five. Seven. Okay, we'll split the difference at six, okay? Uh, Gagne. Five. Yeah, five to ten. Okay. Ten would be more than I would consider. Five for Gagne, six for Bromia. We're up to 11. Okay, Svechnikov. 10 to 15. He's got a better skill set. I'd give him 10. Okay, 10. We're up to 21. And uh, Timoshev. 10 to 15. Okay, we got a 10 and an 8. I'll split the difference. (laughs) He's got more than three goals compared to the rest of the... Okay, so we're up to... Okay, I'll just split the difference. We got 31 total goals there. That would be... Let me do some quick math. Uh, 26 more goals than the guys they're replacing, and we did not have one of them scoring more than 10 goals. So you think, the, if anybody thinks these moves don't make a difference, this is how they could make a difference. How many more games do the Red Wings win if they score an extra 26 goals, assuming, and that doesn't even factor Mantha getting healthy, Larkin regressing to his mean, Fabry being here for a full season? <laughs> it's 26 goals over an 82 game season is a lot of effing goals. That means you're scoring an extra goal in about a third of your games. Last season was a bit of an aberration with how bad the Red Wings were, but the season before that they lost the most one goal games in the NHL. These moves matter, whether we want to admit it or not. Bromia might not make the team, but if he gets replaced by Michael Rasmussen or Giovanni Smith, and they only score six goals. The same logistics apply. The uh, the funny thing is, as I was saying that, I'm like, nah. I think I even gave those guys pretty high uh, estimates because, and I I can't tell if that's uh, or if that's because I've been hurt by this current roster, which everyone scores an average of like 0.75 goals, um, or I just have no hope left in my life. But still, even if you have what we gave them, 13 goals above what we had last year 13 it was 26 goals above what they had last no 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 but even if you cut it in half if if every estimate in half it's still 13 goals above what they had and that would be those four guys averaging what four goals between them between those four guys i would bet at least one of them pops off not to anything crazy but if i sat here and told you over 82 games dimitro timishov scored 15 goals you wouldn't call me crazy 
if he played a regular shift on the third line, because I named off four guys. That means odds are one of them is playing on the third line, and odds are one of them is playing on a power play at some point. And you think Timoshev slots into some power play time as well. So, yeah, it, it pays to have good depth scoring. And how long, and here's the thing, too, that I've noticed with Iserman's minor acquisitions. I know we have preached this on this podcast forever, but the fan base has started preaching it too. We're sick of one-way specialists. I don't care if we never sign a good defensive forward again who can't score, which is why, even though I have nothing against Christopher N, I get sick of seeing guys like Christopher N praised. He scored one goal last year. I don't care. He might have had two. God forbid if I'm wrong on that one. Bromia was sixth in a major league in scoring. He can score. Dimitra Timoshov can score. Um, the, not that they will in Detroit, but they have the toolkit that they might. From the first day Christopher N stepped into the Red Wings lineup, we knew, oh, he's a defensive specialist. Great. I'd much rather put in a guy like Bromia who can who is billed as respe- defensively responsible but actually has the toolkit to score. If he doesn't score in the NHL, that's fine. We tried. Good shot. Let's go try again because eventually if you throw enough darts, you hit a Robbie Fabry. I at first I thought you were going to open that by saying I don't want a defensive defenseman and I was legitimately going to drive to your house and strangle you from 6 feet away. Uh, <laughs> but no, I know what you mean like we always say like this team isn't going to turn around unless they can revamp their top end players or at least give them a superstar and a couple more like Mantha Larkin or even Bertuzzi level players to play with. And if that's a tall, if that seems like a tall order, it is. Um, and we always say like the, the wave or the depth moves aren't going to be what moves the needle significantly. And that still holds true. But the reason stuff like this is important, and, and this is just rephrasing Brad's words you know, we're not angry uh, about Abdulkader's spot in the roster because of his contract anymore, because his contract is what it is. Like it's the Red Wings have a wealth of cap space. And yeah, of course it would be good to have that much more cap space, but the issue with it is how long it runs, which means how long Abdulkader would seemingly be taking up a spot. It's not even just the playing time. It's the fact that he is below replacement level or whoever else it might be. I'm using Abdulkader as a scapegoat here, which we're prone to do. Literally pick anybody in the Red Wings bottom six last year, and this applies. Except the only guy I think you could truly, truly make a case for at this point um, who didn't play significant top six minutes last year would be Glenn Denning. Who I think he still played top six like a lot. Yeah, Darren Darren Helm spent like half the season in the top six, so I guess we could exclude him as well. But everybody else is so beyond replaceable it's when Bra- hilarious yeah when brad when brad names random european signings and waiver pickups and evan and i give extremely conservative estimates on goal totals and then have them and you still and cut those in half and you still have 13 goals against above what your bottom six guys put up last year that's when you know your bottom six needs a revamp is this something to go shouting from the rooftops about no of course not could he turn into something huge? Yeah, of course, anybody could. But uh, like, what's his best case? He turns into a Damian Bruner. That's great. Awesome. I, I think his best case, uh, I mean, if he puts up, like, if he becomes like a 15-20 guy playing on the third line, great. But he he's, I hate the word intangibles because it's always overvalued. But he is a 200-foot player. And I actually had a few of our 
uh, Swedish listeners reach out to me and say, hey, it's not going to show up in his videos, but this guy is a pest. Not not a, to the extreme of a Brad Marchand, but he's a Brad Marchand type, which is good. I love having players like that on our team. I think we all unanimously hate Brad Marchand, but I think we would all immediately take him on our team given the chance. Well, think of how many, how many games this year it looked like we were just trotting out a, a dying corpse and we were just going through the motions. Like when Giovanni Smith came into the lineup and actually was getting in people's face, it got people a little bit fired up. It was nice to see that someone on the team actually gave a shit and was out there trying to better themselves and better the team. So if that's what we're getting at worst, okay, I'm good with that. Man, one of the highlights of the season, what came at like, I think the last or second last game when uh, Fabry ran Mrazic and like (laughs) (laughs) Fabry ran Mrazic and honestly, the the onus was on Fabry for that. Like Mrazic knew he was running some interference, but Fabry still ran him. And then even better, Bertuzzi got in there and as he was being grabbed from behind was dragging two uh carolina hurricanes by their collars across the ice i'm like see like if we're gonna suck we might as well have fun with it like go out there and scrum for your guys you know Mrazic got a tough year he got a fake one punched by thornton he got he start he was part two of the david Ayers saga and then he got ran over by fabry like that's the three-headed horse of the apocalypse the the best part of the Fabry scrum wasn't the hit or anything like that. It was Fabry ran him, knew what he was doing as he was standing up behind the net, was already throwing his gloves down, expecting a fight. And there wasn't a hurricane within like 20 feet of him. So he just kind of had to stand there and wait for the scrum. That's <laughs> so. how you know you messed up when you're halfway through the act and your gloves are already off. <laughs> that, that was the game where, um, oh man, really sad when um, Anthony Mantha murdered Trevor Van Riemsdyk, rest oh, yeah. in peace. When uh, uh, thoughts and I, prayers, I can't believe I've never seen such a disgusting act from Mantha, who had the audacity, the 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 sheer audacity to stand and be big. Ugh, interference! Right, league, the league How doesn't dare. care about their players' well being. Where's that? If a defenseman can't turn and blindly skate in a direction and run into a player and get hurt, what does this league come to anymore? You know. I know I phrased that wrong. <laughs> Such a ridiculous play. That was honest. I I kept watching that, and I'm like, I'm really trying to to uh, uh, plead or, or find the sympathy with the ref here. But holy shit, that has to be the worst call of the year. Oh, it's up there for sure. But uh, back to the benefit of a pest. Actually, on one of the Bromia highlights uh, packages I was watching today, they actually showed a play where he suckered one of his opponents into spearing him. And then as, when he saw the ref point to the guy who speared him and send him to the box, he started fist pumping and celebrating like he just scored a goal, Hell yeah. which which is, I love it. The level of arrogance on that. I love it. We need more guys like this in the team. But the best part, on top of celebrating a penalty like that, he set up a goal on that power play. That's the <laughs> kind you, of guy you want. Can you imagine the guy sitting in that box? How I promise you, whoever speared him took another penalty that game. Oh, man. He would have been furious. I would have, yeah, like if I'm playing, I would have chopped that guy the moment he got back and just skated straight to the box. Yep. Worth it. Um, another, two other Red Wings signings, both goalies. Um, 
interesting for different reasons or not interesting at all, depending on how much you want to believe our drumming up of content. Um, it is uh, Victor Br- uh, Bratstrom, a sixth round pick from 2018. I believe. believe Yes, 2018 um, from Timra over in Sweden. So they signed him to his ELC. It's a two-year deal, um, minimal dollars under a million. So, um, And that, I believe, has a release clause or a loan clause so he can continue to play uh, over in Europe. Um, But that is just another testament to how interesting the Red Wings goalie pipeline is. It's not particularly strong but it's not incredibly weak either there are some projects there that do have promise um, and Bratstrom is the latest to throw his name into the ring so um, he's someone to watch and then a uh, another one is um, Pat Nagel uh, who is essentially Grand Rapids experienced uh, stand-in sometimes on the walleye uh, but between the two I know he stood up big for Grand Rapids last year so uh, Griffin's fans are happy about that one that he's back for another year um, just a, a solid experience piece for uh, the Red Wings organization down in the AHL so um, those are both good again um, Nothing to write home about, but important um, development in the goalie pipeline for for Bratstrom. So he, uh, Van Pottelberga, um, Petra Zelli, and um, Larson are all goalies to watch um, before Detroit inevitably drafts Askara fourth overall. Uh, Jesper Eliasson is deeply offended with you right now. I knew I was forgetting one. I knew uh, I was forgetting one. But yeah, no, Brat Nagel, whatever, that's a good guy. Yo-yos between Toledo and Grand Rapids great no nhl future i think we can agree bratstrom's the interesting one because he was a double overager when we drafted him in 2018 i believe um put up decent numbers in the alston scon this year i think it was a 914 again defense heavy league one step below the shl so i'm taking yep. that with many grains of salt but 914 213 goals against average yeah so we've We've been talking about who the hell is standing between the pipes in Grand Rapids next year. Who's to say it won't be Bratstrom? He's he's massive. I think he's one of those like six foot five, six foot six goalies. Um, he's already played pro for a couple of years, so uh, playing against men isn't new to him. Um, I think we all like Pat Nagel, but I think we would all be disappointed if Pat Nagel is the Grand Rapids starting goalie this year. Um, so yeah, if the tandem is. Pickard and Larson, great. If the tandem's Pickard and Bratstrom, great. If Bratstrom goes back and plays another year in Sweden, fine. I don't know if that actually would burn the year of his ELC or not. Not sure. Um, I assume they're going to let him come over and try and win the spot in Grand Rapids. If not, I I, I struggle to see why they would sign him then, um, unless it's some clause they had to have him signed by X date or there's they lose him. So. I don't know the CBA well enough to get that into the weeds. But yeah, I mean, he's interesting. Uh, Detroit's definitely taking the approach of, let's just draft all the goalies and eventually one of them will stick. So maybe it's Bradstrom. This is going to be his chance. Yeah, and as we've preached before, goalies are voodoo. Does that mean discount any premier goalie prospect? Like you see a Carter Hart rise through the ranks or you see Askarov after he gets drafted? No, of course not. That's the most certainty you could ever ask for in a goalie. Unless you're drafting like Marc-Andre Fleury, that's the only situation I, I can think of where uh, a goalie was um, a top end from start to finish. Um, but when you don't have that top end guy that you're drafting with a first round pick, then yeah, you, you shoot darts at a dartboard. 
And if no one is the heir apparent, you keep shooting darts at a dartboard and you have to give guys second and third chances. Goalies take longer than defensemen to develop oftentimes. So uh, you have to give these guys time. You have to give them opportunity. You have to give them chances to win jobs and you have to give them chances to win jobs back. And after they lose jobs, you have to give them chances to to, to claw their way um, in back to where they were. Um, we've seen Larson at highs and last season he went down. Um you compare that to a defenseman who also have a long development span. Gustav Lindstrom had a great season and then a kind of meh one. And then they called him up to Detroit and he did really well for himself. And now he's, he might be an NHL regular or at least like a half season guy. So um, with goalies like, yeah, you, you just take another shot, take another swing. Eiserman is just, his only job is to take swings right now. Swing. He has the green light from the, uh, the bullpen. I'm not a baseball guy really. So I don't know if I said that right. Let's do a quick hypothetical on goalies, uh, just because I think Detroit might end up in a pretty interesting position in this draft. So let's assume with their top four pick, the Red Wings pick a forward. Lafreniere, Stutzla, Raymond, Byfield, doesn't matter. Let's just assume they pick one of them. Uh, Pick 32, let's say they pick Ryan O'Rourke, a defenseman. Their next second round pick, they take a forward, let's say Daniil Gushin. Doesn't matter. Nico Dawes is still sitting on the board for that next pick. Do you take him? Yeah. That late, yeah. Yeah. Do you take him with the with your middle second round pick? Mm, no, I wouldn't. Depends how dire you think the Red Wings goaltending situation is. Right now, I'd I'd say I'm. Uh, I wouldn't call it dire, but I can't say I have any confidence in it. Not feeling good. That's for sure. Would yeah. you call Nico Dawes substantially a better dart than any of the guys the Red Wings are throwing at the proverbial board right now, though? Mm, yes not substantially but he's he'd be the best start because i mean the ohl was way up in scoring this year and nico dawes was the best goalie in that league uh it was either him or jacob ingham those nobody else was even on those two uh, planet this year in the ohl which is really saying something guelph wasn't a particularly strong team uh, a lot of their success was just straight up because of Nico Dawes. So, yeah, I, I I take the swing, and he was a late bloomer too. So, because this is his second pass through the draft, and nobody took him last year. So, you got to think if a guy improves that much one year over year, I I I would think he's not done improving. I, I would think there's even more room for growth there. For sure, um, you're forgetting you're forgetting how low I think of uh, Canadian uh, junior goaltenders based off of watching them struggle year after year after year in the World Juniors. I know he won gold this year uh, I know. as the backup because he lost his starting job, right? Against, like against the- Russia, <laughs> all like hey, he won his first game. <laughs> there was this false, yeah. There's this false equivalence to like, oh, Canadian World Junior goaltenders carry price. I'm like, yeah. On the other hand, Justin Pogie, and there's way more Justin Pogies in the Canadian junior goaltending world than there are carry prices. So, I, yeah, but when you're already three or four picks deep in your draft, you can gamble a little bit because, I mean, if you wouldn't even question it, if Askarov was still there at 32, no. you would spend that whole night screaming they better take him. Uh, and he had a poor world juniors as well. If you uh, piss off, I hate your I hate when you actually make a, an interesting argument. And for the for the new listeners, I don't actually hate it. I don't. 
please <laughs> please i'm not bullying brad i promise i promise i i cannot bully brad if you ever meet this guy in person you'll know he's unbullyable this is why i do it so openly if anything i get bullied these two bully me i'm like hey friends could you possibly do this one little thing so we can get this thing done really that's really important on time and they're like screw off ryan shut up nerd idiot and they'll delete me from the group chat please I promise you, I'm not that mean to Brad. Are you kidding me? I don't bully you at all. I just ignore it. <laughs> I just don't respond. Evan will come in with a snarky comment. I just put my phone down. <laughs> um, That's true. Brad I has put my phone down. Brad, uh, we're working on like back end like financial stuff for the podcast, like year end tax stuff. Um, Brad has asked me the same question in the last three months, maybe eleven times now, and I still call him my friend so please because <laughs> i'm it's one of those things like i i know the answer but it's not an answer i can afford to screw up so i have to be a hundred percent on it it's like i know the answer is c but if but if it's not c i failed this test <laughs> i put it in writing for Are you we sure <laughs> Oh man, I, our last call with the accountant. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to send this all to Brad, and it's in writing for him, so you you shouldn't get a duplicate email from him. Brad today, yeah, I emailed the accountant. Went, oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> no, I just asked it. It was more an email, yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, hey, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm getting the ball rolling. Are we able to do this right now? And she's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Just send it over when you get a chance. I'm like, okay. Yeah, no, I'm just blowing you, Brad. Okay, so you also have Askarov's there at uh, pick thirty in your Detroit. Do you trade pick thirty two, and then then do you trade all three of your second round picks for pick thirty? No, but I'd give up uh, two of my seconds to get up to Askarov. You wouldn't trade all three of your picks to get Yaroslav Askarov? Goalies, man. If, if that many teams are passing on a goalie of that caliber, I paranoia sets in. Why? What's wrong? He got caught smoking weed or something. I don't know. Yeah. Laramie Tunsil. Oh, God. <laughs> Who is making bank now? Mind yeah. You. Oh, yeah, because every team that passed on him was stupid. Yeah. Um. But yeah, because God forbid anybody smokes a little weed. You ever watch the uh, documentary, the backstory on that on YouTube? No. Oh my God, is it good? It is way weirder and worse than you think. Oh, that'll be a watch tonight. Um, okay, oh, yeah. it's a Brad- like it. It's a three part series that like goes from Laramie Tunsil's situation to how bag men work paying players in the NCAA. It's nuts. NCAA is wild, man. Oh, the NCAA is so corrupt. I hate it. I love college sports, but I hate the NCAA so much. Um, okay, so I am going to move us along here to draft content. Um, and in some exciting news, um, my favorite time of year, which is uh, I wish Brad would have gone to comma college, um, is when I have the opportunity to read through Brad's rankings. No, in all honesty, um, love reading Brad's rankings because, again, you would be hard-pressed to find a guy more passionate uh about prospects and prospect rankings and writing about them than brad um which is why he does the full write-up at any point i'll be like yeah i can probably give my rankings through 15 and brad's like yeah i can only do through like 85 right now so um his uh, first round rankings are up on wingedwheelpodcast.com if you go to the blog section i'll also put the link in the bio for this episode um it's been a big hit brad 500 people have read it already Wow. Yeah. I've only got yelled at by like 37, so I must be doing something right. Which is nice. Uh, For patrons, Brad has an ongoing AMA on Patreon, so go ask him any questions you have about the draft rankings. Um, Check it out on the website. I like legitimately... 
I joke about bullying Brad like he did a really, really, really great job with these and he does a great job every year. So um, definitely worth a read. And it's uh, I'm just obsessed with ranking. So um, I don't have my own out yet. I don't really know if I'm going to put any out this year. I don't know. Um, The one thing the quarantine's allowed is uh, normally I do one of these every year, uh, assuming this goes on longer like it should. By the time we get closer to the draft, I'll probably have even more info and probably put out a second iteration of it, maybe even go to 45 or all the way through the end of the second round um, is it possible. So I've, I've actually started compiling a list. Uh, so I've got a, I'm going to call it rudimentary or rough um, 32 through 62 mapped mm-hmm. out right now. Haven't done deep dives on at least two thirds of them, but Hey, if I'm stuck in the house for another month or two, I'll <laughs> have the time. And uh, Evan, you're working on potential sixth and seventh round pick rankings. Am I correct? Oh, yes. <laughs> well, you were just, looking at guys that were sixth and seventh round picks. No, right? it's Evan's seventh round projections, just him with a sign saying, will play for food. Yeah, It's actually. anybody. I think I saw one of those guys today when I was getting on the highway. Will play for golf memberships. <laughs> oh, big time. Easy so to motivate. Dude perfect video, eh? Yes. That was, did you get that? That was the most excited I've ever seen Evan in my life. It's a golf ball into a bucket. Did you get that? It was Pat, one of the. It that? was a foam ball. Yeah, you know, working on my short range uh, pitch shots. Five thirty in the morning. Cats holding a camera in the front yard, thinking the moment this quarantine is over, I'm dumping this guy. Did you get that cat? Would be a bad mistake because I'm going to be club champion in no time. <laughs> Evan set up a TikTok account just to do these trick shot videos where he's chipping a ping pong ball into a hydro flask. Yeah. That that's Evan, I think that's the only way to get on bar down nowadays is to is to put a TikTok video of trick shots up and then eventually they just take it and put it on there. Um, next next time there's a charity tournament around us, Brad, we should play with Evan just to drive him nuts because of how bad we'll be compared to him. I used to be alright, but I suck now. But I am more than willing to just smash a thousand beers while following Evan in a yeah. golf cart. <laughs> I often run into the issue of having more beers in my bag than I have teas. <laughs> I don't think I've bought a tea in like five years. I base I just pick them up off the ground when people leave them, or yeah. I just Those hit it off iron ma- teas. Hit it off the deck, whatever. I don't care. Um, all right, Brad, your rankings without going through all of them because I want people to read it. Um, name a couple of your more interesting picks, whether they're controversial and where they're ranked, or a guy that people might not have been expecting that rose or dropped, that kind of thing. Um. Okay, so I guess I'll just go by where I found myself really differing from the majority. Uh, two guys that I, I I tend to be higher on are the two Germans. Um, I had JJ Paterka and Lucas Reichel at 19 and 20, respectively. Um, and I know Reichel I don't see in the first round of most um, rankings I'm seeing right now. Paterka... He's in the first round. I see him generally in the mid 20s, so I'm not crazy higher on him. But I I really like both these guys' skill sets. I mean, they're producing in a men's league. Um, They both had really strong world juniors, which I don't think gets enough credit because Germany did well this year in the world juniors. So the initial assumption is that Germany had a better team, and they did. But almost everybody on that team that was carrying them offensively was draft eligible. It was Stutzla, it was Paterka, it was Reichel driving the bus offensively. They had Sider on the back end, but those were the three driving the offense. 
as 17-year-olds at the World Juniors on a team with basically no depth. I mean, it's a small sample size, but that was incredibly impressive. And then you couple that with what they've been doing in Germany this year and you watch their tapes. These guys are good. First round good. I know when we were on Max and Prashantha's podcast, everybody was judging me because I traded up one spot when I was Detroit from 31 to 30. (laughs) But it was because... Like everybody else was off my board, but I still had Lucas Reichel sitting there. And I'm like, man, this is value. He's 10 spots lower than where I was planning on it. And I couldn't trust Max to not pick him. So I had yeah. to go up and get him. Yeah. If In case you guys missed that, uh, go <laughs> listen to that Wings for Breakfast episode uh, we were on. And both Brad and I traded up one spot to grab each of Paterka and Reichel, respectively. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Poor needless, Max. <laughs> needless to say, we we really like them. Um, uh Another interesting prospect of mine um, who I I didn't initially have in my first round until I kept reading more and more about him was Zion Nybeck. Um, He ended up in my first round rankings um, just to, I don't know what we want to call him, the Swedish Smurf, because he is tiny. He's five foot eight. And according to a lot of things I read, that might actually be a little generous for him. But his skill set is just off the charts. His highlight films were probably one of my favorite ones to watch out of everybody in the first round. Because he's just so skilled. If he weighed more than a stuffed animal on my daughter's bed, he, he'd he be a top 15 pick. So I think he's going to be an interesting one. Um, and then trying to think I ha- I'm pretty low on Gunler because his, his inconsistency scares the ever living hell out of me. That is a big, re- big red flag for me and a prospect. You can have off games, but to, to just be as off as he was, as often as he was, uh, scared the hell out of me. And one guy that I had at 22, but I, I've got a gut feeling is going to be higher on my next ranking is Maverick Bork. Um, the more I dug into him, uh, he grew on me. His skill set is impressive, especially when you look at the relative stats to the rest of his team in Schwinnigan. He was comically better than the rest of his team. So I'm, I'm curious to see what his boxcars would have been had he had a better supporting cast. So th- those were some of the more interesting ones to me. Uh, obviously, I had a bunch of guys fall out of the first round that aren't, um, that are in the first round of most other rankings. Like uh, right now, I have Braden Schneider close to the mid-second round, and he's like almost a top 20 lock in most of the mocks you see because I don't see any translatable off not any but very little translatable offensive upside there and those are not the type of players i like to pick in the first round so he free fell on my board um i'm really happy that you brought up nybeck and uh bork so because those were two guys that i was really really interested about so um yeah really echoing your statements on that one like like i said guys go check it out wingwheelpodcast.com or depending on how you're getting this podcast the link may be in the bio for you um this week's prospect profile is none other than William Wallace. No, I'm just kidding. It's William uh, Volander or Wallander, depending on how you want to pronounce that. I believe it's Volander if you go by the Swedish pronunciation. Am I correct? Which we've already established we won't do. Um, he is a, <laughs> a six foot four behemoth of a left handed shooting defenseman and uh, a little bit of a, an archetyper maybe not i suppose um it's a rare player type but he's six foot four a huge guy 192 so you imagine he's going to fill up that frame and he can move a huge defenseman that can move the red wings have a penchant for that lately um he's been ranked 
mid first round. He's been ranked late second round. He's been ranked in the third. He's been ranked kind of all over the board. So if you want a guy that the Red Wings really well could have on their radar, he fits that bill in my mind. Um, and he's on the left side. You imagine Wallander Sider. Like that's the kind of thing where if the Red Wings are actually going for this, we just want a massive freaking blue line that can move. He would fit that bill. Um, not a lot of offensive game in my mind. I know some people praise his shot, which um, puts forward the notion that he can have uh, some kind of development offensively. But I just haven't seen from what I've watched and read from him the kind of output that would say it's a strong suit. Um, it would be kind of an area of to monitor to see if he can fill out that part of his game. But otherwise, the fact that he's um, fleet of foot and, and a decent stick handler and just huge um, apt defensively is he's an intriguing pick. And I, I think that's a guy that I would like to see Detroit target in the second round if he falls there. Um, I think he's got more offensive upside than he gets credit for, uh, albeit not flashy. He's he's that efficient but effective and effective more than uh, making plays happen. When I see prospects that fill that, uh, especially for defensemen, it, it doesn't lead me to believe there will be a lot of offense at the NHL level because you can be efficient, but unless you're like, elite 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 iq you gotta have uh, a lot of tools in the bag um watching some of wallander's clips I, I don't know why he he reminded me of chaloski a lot um in in the terms of his movements and, and what he does on the ice so uh i i like chaloski's offensive iq more but in terms of the way he skates the way he moves the puck with how efficient he is uh, he, he reminded me of a bigger chaloski if the offense does come uh, then his scouting report would read almost the exact same as anti Tuomistos at this point, but Tuomistos more offense than defense. So uh, not thinking that's going to actually come to fruition, but hey, it might. Um, he's he's a good pick, a safe pick. Um, yeah, he, he doesn't excite me, but he, he was good enough to creep into my first round. So yeah, I, I could see that being a good target for Detroit at 32. Yeah, it's kind of weird to see a guy that big who actually skates that well. Um, so if they can kind of refine his toolkit a little bit, he'll be a very, very solid second-pairing defenseman in the NHL. Um, there aren't a lot of downsides to his game. Um, obviously, at the higher levels, you'll need to play defense a little bit better. Um, his offensive zone a little bit left to be determined as he plays in more of a men's league but in looking at this draft and the scarcity of defensemen he could easily go anywhere from mid first round to mid second round it all depends on when these those chips start to fall yeah and what you described in like this effective efficient but not flashy guy it's like yeah the red wings can't keep drafting guys like that like you need to kind of draft high upside guys but there is a uh a gap right now in who's playing on the left side in detroit and they do have prospects that could fill in there but not as much as the right side so does handed handedness matter um more than i'd like it to um i don't know why i'm so ridiculous in wanting people to play on their offside i'm a right-handed shooting defenseman and i loathed when i was on the left side um it's why i started using a square toe blade because a lot of times um i would get flipped and i i hated pulling the puck off the board so at least i'd want to give myself an advantage with the square toe blade but i digress um yeah i, I think he'd be a good target for detroit 
would you consider him at pick 32? I would, I would consider him. I, I mean, it's all contextual because uh, is Nybeck sitting there? Yeah, I would take Nybeck. Is, um, you know, uh, did a Hendricks Lapierre fall or it's all it's all context. I I much prefer Detroit's defensive uh, depth in the prospect pipeline than the offense right now. So I, I was actually thinking about it when I was doing my rankings with how I roughly think this draft will shake out. I I find myself hoping the Red Wings take forwards with their first two, three, maybe even four picks. So, because, I, I mean, defense is, this is a very light defensive draft. So you got to, I, I have to assume guys like Wallander and Andre and Sanderson will be picked higher than they should, which yeah. means they probably won't be sitting there at 32 for Detroit. Um. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um. Skill-wise, yeah, absolutely. I would consider him at 32. Do I think he's going to be there? No, probably not. If he is there, would I consider it? Yeah. Am I betting he's going to be my favorite choice at 32? Probably not. Yeah, there's... Well, I mean, you look at last year, there was a bunch of guys that the Red Wings either just missed out on or passed up on in the second round, which I was like... Uh, I really, really wish we would have just swung on this guy. So, but this is a different uh, draft group now. This is Chris Draper's group, not Tyler Wright's. And there's uh, some new staff and, and a new way of thinking. And Eisman's done his year of observation. So uh, we might see a little bit of change in philosophy there. Um, if, for those who are thinking, well, Eisman came in April 19th um, and had, you know, a couple months before the draft. Yeah, that's zero time in hockey time. Um, that much of a lead in before preseason is not enough to really have a grasp on everything to do with your team. So it was the right move for him to sit back and, and let the draft team who had been working on this draft class for two plus years. So um, you're going to see now a little bit more of Eisenman's characteristic, whatever that may be. Um, if it's much of the same, then it's much of the same, but I wouldn't be surprised to see some different swings there. Um, last quick topic, uh, before we get into overtime is, uh, the red or the red wings, the league is talking more and more, um, about, um, uh, projected return to play so they've released like a three-phase plan uh there's a committee including reps from the nhl the nhlpa agents etc etc on how this might return um the league keeps having to release statements saying we haven't confirmed everything despite the reports um which is good i'm glad they're putting that out there but there are talks of like we've mentioned before um as local legislation allows or local restrictions allow um teams doing smaller uh, training sessions in markets. Uh, they're looking to phase two, which is kind of just like warming up um, in that way that I just described. But again, nothing's written in stone um, and all of this is pretty fluid. So nothing really concrete to talk about that we haven't yet in terms of like the hubs of uh, like hub cities on where they would play, how they would do testing, things like that. One question I do have, if you're the Detroit Red Wings, and not Larkin, because obviously Larkin would be itching to play any hockey possible. But if you're a guy with a family and, you know, you're older and you're a little bit beat up, are you going to go and play like nine games or 12 games and travel to a different city and have to isolate for two weeks and isolate when you get back and risk your health to do it? Absolutely not. They're insane if they play any regular season games at this point, because it won't matter for so many teams. Um a report I was reading today that uh, we we've, we touched on this idea before, but it seemed to have a bit more substantial backing to it, was that they're looking at doing the four locations 
divisional playoffs in said location. Although what they were saying is six teams from each division would get in. So in theory, in this world, the Buffalo Sabres would get in. The New York Rangers would not figure that one out. But that's what they're talking about. One and two would play for home ice to win the division. Three would play six, four would play five. And then they would just finish the division from there. Um, I like that idea better than finishing the regular season. Cause yeah, it's going to be weird having 24 teams in the playoffs, but Hey, I'm team chaos, so I can't argue it. Um, yeah, it's, it's fine. Uh, I, I think I've got a horrible feeling just cause from what I know about what's happening with a lot of local businesses and, and a company I work for specifically already talking about opening in the next month. I, I think they're going to have a really good plan in place. I think um, they're going to have a lot of good protocols, and I think we'll see wave two before this even hits. So it might all be it'll probably all be rendered moot. Yeah, it's a phrase I'm using everywhere. Information's good for like an hour lately. So yeah, it's good to plan. Like whether you're at work or in your personal life or you're you know the commissioner of a professional sports league, you have to make plans, but you also have to be making backup plans and backup to those plans and be ready to throw all of them in the trash in the same day. Like it's happened to me so many times. The amount of dead hours of work that I've done. Yeah, the I know the NHL keeps trying to expand the playoffs to make it fair. I I, I personally think that's just the the wrong mindset because if you slap an extra. 10 teams into the playoffs hypothetically just picking that cool you're now throwing what 200 more bodies into the equation here when we're trying to keep social distancing and interaction to a minimum man it's going to screw a lot of teams playoffs or playoffs 16 run with it you have it top four in each division isolate them in at some remote arena in Nunavut and play it out I, <laughs> I I mean, it's the safest. You can control more things that way because it's that many less people. None of its hospital infrastructure cannot handle if there's an outbreak with the however many thousand people would be needed to run that. <laughs> they they have a case. I was reading that today. None of it actually has a case of COVID, and I don't I don't even want to know how that happened. All right. Uh, let's head over to um, Overtime, which on this midweek episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast is brought to you by none other than your beautiful, beautiful patrons. Uh, we are going to start off with Matt Cheney, who says, hey, boys, Eisenman's low risk acquirements for per 60, or uh, maybe he meant, yeah, uh, acquisitions per 60 is really starting to increase. Do you think he plans to be competitive next year? And when I say competitive, I mean, dr- try to jump three to four spots in the standings. Or do you think he goes in with the assumption that the 2021 season, if it happens, is a wash like the 1920 season. Thanks, boys. I think he wants to lose more games by one than by six. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a perfect answer. Peter Quill. Welcome, Peter. Uh, says, hey there, gents across sports. Whose legacy do you think is taking the biggest hit from shortened seasons and or no playoff runs? I know Ovi needs all the games he can play to get the goals record, but he's only missing 13 games, and this break may help him rest up a bit. I'd argue it's LeBron. He's going on 36. Anthony Davis is a free agent at season's end, and he's chasing ghosts to be the best player ever. If the NBA doesn't crown a champ, that is a wasted year for him. I don't think it can be overstated what winning a championship in LA would do for his legacy, and the Lakers were a 20 20 favorite curious to hear your thoughts thanks guys um lebron's a good one i i don't look at players i look at teams um for the nhl right now i think tampa bay is going to get really screwed if this season comes because they're in cap hell next year um i forget who it was someone 
on the athletic put out a, a cap it was myrtle yeah yeah he put out a cap projections for next year based on estimates of what their rfas will sign for etc cetera, etc cetera. fun fact detroit will have the second most cap space in the league after mantha and bertuzzi and everybody is resigned Woo. um tampa's like almost seven million dollars over oh my god so they are going to be losing a very key player or several usable players um so not that their windows closed but it's going to take a big hit this summer odds are they're going to have to un- like unload a contract and an asset to get rid of it like hey detroit we'll give you a fourth round pick if you take uh so and so off our books Kalorn or whatever and it, it might happen um because the only other team with more cap space in detroit is ottawa and their owner's not spending any money needlessly um i'm trying to think because yeah if this goes on as long as it does, and if everybody goes back to work too soon and we see wave two, and then all of a sudden we're, we're digging into the fall, I, I'm starting to look at the NFL to see, you know, how many good years does Aaron Rodgers have left? How many, some of the, some of those top end quarterbacks in the NFL aren't young. Uh, Phillip Rivers isn't going to get too many kicks at the can. So well, it's not like Aaron Rodgers had anything to work with this year anyways. Yeah, no. Well, hey, he's got a quarterback that he can throw the ball to. <laughs> I actually think Peter's uh, suggestion of LeBron's the best one. Like, I'm yeah. not. Well, like, hold I, on. Is it though? Because LeBron's is anybody going to question LeBron's legacy if he retires tomorrow, COVID or not? Well, no, but he not legacy, not his legacy as it stands. But he has a legitimate case as greatest of all time. I think most people that you talk to will say it's firmly Jordan, including myself. And I think a lot of reasonable LeBron fans will say the same thing. But he's not outside of striking distance. He's got Anthony Davis on this Lakers team. They were expected to be good, but at the same time, like you saw what the Clippers did last offseason, they were you know the Lakers were expected to struggle a little bit more than they actually did. LeBron, though an absolute freak of nature, athletically and physically, isn't getting younger. So for him to be having this dominant of a season in terms of how the Lakers are playing, you need everything. And rings mean everything in all-time conversations. And and individual player legacy means a lot in the NBA. So So, I, I think it matters. Not to turn this into a basketball podcast, but I agree with you. Rings mean everything in legacy. And LeBron has several of those, which is why I don't think it's going to impact his legacy. If you want to look at players in the NBA right now on really good teams without rings. How do you feel right now if this season gets canceled, if you're James Harden or Russell Westbrook, knowing that, oh man, Golden State's on a down year. We really only have the Lakers and maybe one or two other teams in the West to get through. We could do it this year. And then there's no season. Cause I think we know it's out, out East. It's not going to be much of a battle. You got the Bucks, you got the Raptors and then a couple well, you think of it uh, with the Bucks, they only have Antetokounmpo tentatively for another season until he's a UFA. So yeah, he's in Toronto next year. There. So. <laughs> uh, well, Brad, you said LeBron has several. He has three rings. I believe he's three and six in his finals, and that's half as many as Jordan. So yeah, but you got to look at those Cavs teams he played for there, man. That's like being friggin' one hundred and ten percent if you go fifty percent. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna move us along here. Uh, Chris says, "Hey guys, uh, just something I'm curious about. The '80s and '90s had a lot more scoring than now. Why was that? Was it more talent? Goaltending couldn't keep up. No defensive forwards. Bad defense. Curious if y'all could touch on that. I'm newer to following hockey enough to understand the game and haven't watched too many old games. And to follow, what do you think is the ceiling for McDavid's point total um, or some of the other game breakers, Matthews, Kucherov, etc.? No one will touch some of the point." 
tournament records, it seems, by how the game is played today. Also, so everyone is aware, the Wings felt that they have an extremely they have they lack an extremely handsome suite since Hank retired, so they signed Brome to fill that role. Um, I think you the biggest thing is the goaltending, bar uh, none. Yeah, don't overthink this. Uh, walking two feet over the blue line and taking a clapper resulted in goals a lot. That's yeah. You get yelled at now by your coach if you step two feet over the blue line and take a slap shot. You can shoot like Ovechkin. That puck's going in one out of 100 times, and the goalie's getting pulled after that one. Um, The goaltending was hilariously bad in the 80s. The goaltending equipment was hilariously small. The goaltending style was, oh, I don't even know what you call it, uh, two-touch in soccer. Uh <laughs> It's the 80s, man. You might as well have been playing on a shooter tutor, honestly. And not to say those goalies are bad because, you know, they had to play with what they had to work with, which was nothing. Um, They've strapped on a pair of shin pads and an oven mitt and tried to stop uh, an Al McKinnis slap shot. But I mean, yeah, it's, there's no way around it. The top goalies in the entire league in the 80s were putting up like 890 save percentages. Yeah. And like, those uh, are Hall of Famers putting up 890s defensemen and defensive systems also weren't good you like the amount of times where you'd watch a good defensive player just get walked um in a way that would cause a current nhl player to be benched because he got caught flat-footed was unreal back then not to say there's no good defensemen but the good ones really stood out so um goalies 90 percent defense 10 percent it's uh, there's more talent now, but that's why it's a little bit more of a level playing field. Goaltending athleticism has just skyrocketed oh, in yeah. a decade, even two decades. So that's another reason why you see the big change. Well, also too goalie physique, because uh, back in in those days, um, the the game was so physical when kids were growing up. The mentality literally was throw the short guy in net, which is why guys like Mike Vernon. Uh, Grant Fear. Um, uh, who's the Blues broadcaster again? What's his name? I can't believe I'm forgetting it. He's Darren Pang. So you were getting routinely goalies who are five nine, five ten, because they weren't big enough to play the physical game. So they got defaulted to goalie. Now, if you're under six foot two, you're a short goalie. So now, with the equipment and the actual structure of the goalie himself, they take up a lot more net. Um, Andrew Hadel says, hello, my hockey friends. A few episodes back, I heard Evan bring up Jordan Tutu for a highlight video. I got to see Tutu score a goal on Luongo back in 2013. He also laid out Chris Tanev. The Wings won that game 8-3. What a not-so-sober night at the uh, Joe that was. Kim Yo Jong, welcome, uh, new Supreme Leader, I think, says, greeting capitalist pig American sympathizers. I'm commenting in lieu of my brother who, despite the pathetic rumor mongering from inferior countries, is very much alive on his party train with his harem of women and generally living large uh, during our non-lockdown. Did I mention that we have full freedom within our secure borders and intranet? <laughs> Unlike weak peon nations such as Canada, US and A, and Europe, Best Korea has already has immunity and a vaccine to the COVID-19 virus due to our superior scientists. I read inferior wannabe scout Rob Kopcho's 2020 NHL draft rankings, and they were underwhelming to say the least. Not one featured player from the clearly top-tier North Korean Junior Hockey League in his 31. Pathetic. Much-heralded youngster Kim Dar-Renhelm has been truly elite, averaging 6.9 points per game and putting up 420 points this season. A few other prospects to keep an eye on. The emerging goalie Kim Block Puck, 
play driving monster Kim Corsi and the offensive dynamo Kim Goodgar. <laughs> sort it out. Uh, oh, Jersey time. My I propose, God. I propose the Red Wings play a game and throw back Detroit Vipers jerseys. Copyrights and trademarks be damned. What other NHL teams could appropriate an IHL, AHL team affiliate or shared city jersey and rock them? Flyers could easily use the Phantoms, for example. And then I Google translated some more Korean at the bottom, which said, keep a bag of fresh cheese. Um, or Rowan, you've outdone yourself. Uh, not physical, but actual ECL, ECHL affiliation. I think a Detroit Vipers versus an Orlando Solar Bears game would be the most colorful game in NHL history. I'm here for it. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, what was it? The old Las Vegas Thunder. So Vegas can, can use them. I love the Vipers jerseys. Love. Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm blanking on so many of the old IHL teams right now, though. Um, is Abbotsford, Abbotsford heat, just the, um, flames. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. They were relatively recent too. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. The uh, IHL I'm, who is it? The Kalamazoo K wings or something like that. What's the one out East? The, the dogs, they're the Toronto affiliate, the Labradors. Oh, the, the Newfoundland growlers growlers. Yeah. Those yeah. jerseys are dope. Yeah, Toronto should do a night with one of those. Those are sweet jerseys. They're bit, they, they're pretty close to the Golden Knights color scheme would be the only yeah. knock against them. Like, I love the jerseys, but yeah. Just a big old Labrador. What the, what's the breed of dog they have on there? Is that just... Uh, it must be a Newfie, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, Drake Eckert says, Good day, boys. Loving the content lately. For Evan, since they have lifted the golf ban, I've been out on the course three times since last Friday and it has been amazing. Here's I to hate hoping you. you're <laughs> <laughs> Here's to hoping you're able to get on the link soon. Something that I saw and was curious about. If Ottawa offers all three of its first rounders for first overall and one of our second rounders, would you do it? Or what do you think Detroit or Ottawa would have to do to sweeten the pot for either team to make a trade work? I think this would be just the right amount of chaos to shake things up for the draft. So then we have to assume what would Ottawa's picks be like two, five and 20. Yeah. And then we'd be giving one in 32. Yeah. Oh man. 20 and 31 as much as we want to, or 32 aren't going to be dramatically different players. Um, Would you do one for two and five? Would you do one for two and four? Uh, two and four, I would say yes. Because I'm I'm really... Well, you saw my rankings, how my tiers go. I get two of the guys in my second tier. I'm happy with that. Once I get outside of my second tier, then I'm not super confident in anybody. Not that they're not going to be good players, but like, I think the guys in my top four are going to be like superstars, and I'm betting on them being stars. Not like, oh, they might be. Um, once you get past that, it's like, I, I think this guy is going to be really good, but I don't know for sure. So are you willing to give up Lafreniere on a maybe? Ottawa's not offering this for what it's worth. Like, No, they're not. And I think we've had this question about 100 times, and I think I flip-flopped on my answer every time. Um, Ryan Calameni says, so the wings sign Brome. I know I've changed it mid-episode. Fight me. Uh, I'm guessing he could easily take a fourth-line spot from a guy who can't produce and could be uh, the man out. Don't tell Brad. Also, I want Tim Stutzla. 
Um, Kyle Vizantine says, for, hey guys, for the past few years, my girlfriend and I have been picking out one away game to go to and make a little vacation out of it. 1819, we did Toronto and Tavares tied it up with 7.2 seconds left in the third, saying it to OT where captain scored the winner, leaving me heartbroken, surrounded by Leafs fans. This season, we did Montreal and the Bell Center was amazing. The game was great. The Wings won and I walked and I walked to our car saying, excuse me, winners coming through. Anyways, where do you guys think we should go next season? Man, if you can do Vegas, do Vegas. Yeah. Vegas is the answer. Um, I love New York City. I absolutely love New York City. So if uh, Madison Square Garden, it'd be worth a trip. Um, new patron by Felicia. Name level sponsor. Thank you so much. And welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast family. Love the name. Says, have you seen Stutzla's Ninja Warrior Parkour run? No, I have not. Uh, it's pretty cool. Starts closer to the middle slash end of the video. The trampoline reaction part looks like a lot of fun too. I'm going to watch that um, and we'll get back to you. Thank you for sharing that and thank you for joining us. Uh, Eddie says, what's the best nickname given to you by someone? Oh boy. Uh, man, I've not had many nicknames. Um, in my high school... There were a lot of Brads, and in hockey for my age group, there were a lot of Brads, so I just heard nothing but my last name for 20 years. Yeah. Hockey nicknames aren't creative. No. If, uh, if your name can't have a Y at the end of it, you're just referred to by your last name. If it can't be, if you can't add a Y or shorten it and add an S, which my last name doesn't work for either of those, it was just my last name. Um, I'm trying to think if there I was, was anything. I was Hannah on the ice. Like, that's it. Yeah. No, and occasionally yeah. people would be like, that's a girl's name. I'm like, yeah, congrats, bro. It's my last name. Yeah, I was I was Crisco. Uh, people assumed it was probably some Grease acronym, like nickname to do with that. Like, Were you Lobby on the ice, Evan? Yes. Yeah, you would, he would definitely be Lobby. Lobs would work too, though. I would I would go Lobs for Evan. No, Lobby's Lobby. Less better. syllables, the better. Yeah. Makes it quicker. No good. Like, there's no good hockey nicknames. Like what? Anyone in my life who shortens my name is usually a girl and they call me Rye or uh, girls either do one thing. They call me Rye or they call me by my full name. They say Ryan Hannah. I don't understand why. My friends call me dickhead. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> yeah, I've been called that asshole a punch. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Evan is, uh, we usually call him, is he coming today? <laughs> what? Uh, Fred. Fred, that's right. Jacob Charlip says... Um, Sorry about that. Trying to think about, uh, hey, what's up, fellas? Trying to think about next year's potential lineup, and I figure we have some combination of Burt, Mantha, Zadina, Fabry, but hopefully Lafreniere with Larkin as the only real top six center. Assuming we don't end up with Byfield, would uh, trying to sign a guy like Cody Eakin or Eric Holla make sense to help the development of our young wingers? Got to figure playing with Philpula isn't going to help Zadina or Lafreniere all that much in the long run. Thanks, boys. Um, I'm not big on Eakin, but I would absolutely take a flyer on Hala because he's not too far removed from a, a near 30 goal season. Um, he's just been dummied by injuries. I mean, if there's any team in a position to take a gamble on a guy with injuries that we know can play when healthy, uh, Detroit's the team to do it and Hall is the guy to do it. It just worked out with us this season for Fabry. Um, I could see enough teams being scared off of Hala that he won't cost a lot. He won't be cheap. But he won't cost a lot. and He won't be long term. Nobody's giving him term with his injury problems. Yeah. My most important thing is term. If you want to overpay by half a mil right now, the Red Wings have that luxury. Like if you're not going to be filling in that cap space by acquiring assets from teams who need cap space, then take a flyer on a guy where it's like a swing and a miss and make sure it's no more than one or two years. That said, 
I know we were just preaching, fill out the lineup with more competent bums and actual bums. Um, you know, the, the Brome signing being a good example of that. Like this is a guy who can bring skill to the lineup and if he fails at zero risk, but I think they would have to be a clear cut better than what the Red Wings can put forward in terms of the Rasmussen, the Svechnikovs, because those guys need looks this season. The, the clock is out for them in Grand Rapids. In my mind, they need to be up or they the, the team needs to have a better vision of what they are. So um, they need every opportunity to play. So unless they're, be, they're substantially better than them, I would want to be careful with just how many of those guys they add. But well, if we're if we're waving abdicator and we're not signing N and we're not signing, you know, even Perlini or, or any of those guys, hell yeah, bring them in. Bring them in. Just I just want to make sure there's the space. Not ass- for someone who doesn't deserve it, but that there is space. Assuming you are willing to waive like bodies in the bottom six to get your prospects in, you never pass up the chance to bring in talent on a decent contract. Because let's say you bring in Hala, who I think is like 26, 27 years old. So let's say you bring him on on a four-year contract, which is probably longer than he'll get. But screw it. You got the the resources to burn. If Detroit's good in three to four years, cool. That's another talented piece to help you on your playoff run that year. Let's assume Detroit's not. Still firmly in the rebuild, still suck. But Hala's a good player. Cool. You get a second, third, fourth round pick when you trade him a year or the year of his, when his contract expires. Okay. It's assets. I mean, free agents are free assets. You, all it costs you is the actual dollars and your roster spot. You're not giving up a player. You're not giving up a pick. If it works out great. If it doesn't, you can always trade them. Now, again, this is all with the asterisks, good player, not a lot of term because you're not going out and giving a guy like Hollis seven years and getting, absolutely boat anchored to that if it doesn't work out if he, they sign him to a three-year deal at like five million a year and it doesn't work and he just falls off a cliff you tried it was worth the dart but you unload him you wave him detroit's not going to be good in that time so either get your assets out of a trade or he'll help you when you need the help um again a guy like holla i'm not betting is gonna suck so if he's playing he'll be valuable to you where it would go south fast with a guy like that is if 10 games and he blows out his knee again. I mean, yeah. I'm not just LTIR him then, so it's not like he's hurting your cap. But yeah, it sucks. But it is what it is. You got you to take some swings eventually. Again, this isn't the summer to do it, but I'm not sure I'm giving. I'm not sure I'm giving Hall a three by five. But yeah, your general notion stands there. Yeah, I mean, he is what? Only two years removed from what he put up 29 with Vegas that one year. Yeah. That would have led the Red Wings by 10 this year or something like that. <laughs> um, Eric Baker says, January 7th, 2020, Red Wings and Canadians are tied at three apiece late into the third. As usual, Franz Nielsen netted to that game. Then with less than four minutes to go, Philip Zadina scores, and it was off a turnover by Kotkaniemi. The prophecy and nets uh, were fulfilled. Um, game-winning goal rewarded uh, awarded to number 11, suck it, Habs. The primary assist for that goal came from Adam Ernie, so let's always remember Adam Ernie as that one guy who assisted on Zadina's first goal against Montreal. A fourth-round pick was totally worth it. That being said, I hope to never see Adam Ernie playing for the Red Wings again. Happy quarantine, friends. And last comment here is from Stay Inside Cheese Bags, a Fournier company. It says, hey there, fellas. Excited to see what Matthias Brome can bring to the team. What's the latest on Malty Stromwall and Frederick Handemark? Um, holding patterns essentially no news was uh, isn't Handemark literally like only a few points back behind Brumia? uh yeah i will not be 
I will not accept your pronunciation. Why? What did I say? Oh, oh, because I said bromide, didn't I? Uh, <laughs> the last word I heard is that Eisman has an agreement in place to sign both, but as to whether those signings are actually happening or not, what's the holdup? Um, seasons finishing, um, the whole world being in flux, and a lot of this could possibly be posturing. So that's why there's so much uncertainty. Um, how would you rate those players? Similar to what Bromeo would be. Like neither of these guys are world movers. You're, you're talking. Um, the bottom half of your lineup front or back end and uh i'm not really sure you can you can say too much beyond that i don't know if anyone else has a better read on stromwall even nope none yeah um and how much could potential compliance buyouts affect the potential signings of all three i don't think those two things will be tied together too much like they might open up a roster spot or two but compliance buyouts are pretty much buying back future pain for Detroit. Uh, a note on Stromwall, he signed with the Rangers in 2016, had six points in 44 games in the A, was demoted to the ECHL, and then released. So if Stromwall does come over, it'll be a second stint in North America. He'll most likely need a knockout season in Grand Rapids to prove last year in Sochi with the KHL wasn't a fluke. Have you guys kept up with SNL? The at-home episodes are actually really good, probably because these actors are writing their own material that's best suited to their own skill sets. Take a guy like Kyle Mooney. His segments usually don't fit the flow of the rest of the show. Not that it's bad, just off-kilter, but in this format, he stands out. It's stellar. Also loved Miley's wish. You are here. Just beautiful. Uh, keep an eye out for that Parks and Rec at-home reunion special. The Office is still better, but I'm looking forward to seeing Leslie and the gang back together. I met Jim O'Hare um, while in the while in Kansas City. Um, incredibly kind and gracious with everyone. Nothing like his character on the show. I had thought this the other day. If slash when the Fantastic Four joined the Marvel MCU, you know who would make a great Ben Grimm, aka the Thing, Nick Offerman. Thoughts? Hey man, I'm Nick Offerman for anything. So yeah, sure, I'll go with it. Oz good for Hall of Fame, stay inside cheese bags, and for Christ's sakes, always wear a mask when you go out. All right, folks, that is this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We will be back at you on Sunday. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, please send us the names of every single fringe um, or unknown European player that could potentially signed or not be signed. And, uh, oh, the NHL is sell- selling team-affiliated face masks. Do they ship to Canada? It was only a matter of time. No, they do not. Damn it. And just before we wrap up here, we want to thank all of our listeners, our name level sponsors, the septic tank of that bitch, Carol Baskins, by Felicia, Dead Panda Society, Brad Smith, Andrew Bohan, Bohan, Scott Martin, Kayla Thompson, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Brandon M., Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, uh, Ryan Lewis, Langabeer, Clayton Van Dyken, Kaylin Wood, Hassam Alkasem, Arjun Shanker, Charlie Elkins, Hannah Lee, Alex Ott, Chris Frank, Connor Leighton, Danny Jr., Matthew Keeler, Craig Kibble, Simon Anderson, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, K. Waz, and Sanders. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.